2 Corinthians chapter 7. This is part of a series where we are reading through and teaching through the book of 2 Corinthians. And so far, Paul has spent much of this letter defending his own leadership. And today, we read of a report back from Titus, who has been to see the believers in Corinth. And there is cause for Paul to be joyful. But before we read it, Calvin, I need your help for a moment. Um, I wonder if you could go and check on the young people upstairs for a moment. Uh, They're hanging out upstairs. Um, I'm sure they're fine. In fact, I've got every confidence in them. They're an amazing bunch of young people. I'm sure there's some parents in the room who would agree. Uh, But I have to say, though, I'm a little concerned because since I was last with them, I had to write them a letter. A letter because I was a bit concerned in particular about a couple of them and their behaviour. I'm not sure how they received it and if I upset them, Calvin. So I wondered if you could just pop upstairs and see how they're doing and report back in a few minutes. Is that okay? On my way. On your way, great. While Calvin does that, uh, Michael's going to come and uh, bring our reading to us. It's 2 Corinthians 7 from 2 to 16. It's going to be on the screen and hopefully you've got it open in front of you as well. Thank you, Michael. So 2 Corinthians and chapter 7, reading from verse 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. I don't say this to condemn you. I've said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I've spoken to you with frankness. I have great pride in you. I'm greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bound. For when we came into Macedonia... We had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance, for you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, 
what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you've proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So, even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we're encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I'd boasted to him about you and you've not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to, to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I'm glad I can have complete confidence in you. Thank you, Michael. Like I said, um, do leave the Bibles open in front of you. I'm going to be helping us to understand this passage, hopefully. Now, where's Calvin? I'd asked him to go and get a report from me on how the young people were doing. Oh, here he is. Let's make sure you can all hear the report. Here you go. How are they getting on? I really was quite concerned. You know, I've got some absolutely brilliant news for you. You know that, um, well, first of all, I can see why you're so proud of them. What an amazing bunch those young people are. I can see exactly uh, why you're so proud. But you know that letter that you were worried about? Yes. That you sent? Well, it's clear it did cause a bit of upset initially. But do you know what's happened? It's led to just absolute transformation. They, it's really changed them, some of their attitudes and approaches to things. And it's just incredible what's happened. And oh, what relief. Do you know what? There's been a whole swing about... You were concerned about them I was. in the letter, but now they're concerned about you. They're sorry for what happened, and, but they just want to put everything right. Uh, they can't wait to see you, and they have so much respect for you as a leader. And, uh, you know, they're praying for you and just, just so committed to you. It's I've amazing. Got, I've amazing got to say to that is such a relief to me, Calvin. I thought I almost regretted sending it, to be honest. But seeing how their sorrow that you're telling me about has actually changed their way of thinking. It's just transformed. And, and what they've been doing. It's a real relief. Tell you what, you actually look energised and refreshed oh, by going to see them. I was. Uh, maybe was, the youth team would be a good fit for you, actually. I, I, there's far more respect <laughs> up there, actually. So, yeah. Anyway, I, 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 told, <laughs> I, I told you they were awesome. And they've, they've not embarrassed me. In fact, my boasting has been proved true. Amen to that. What an obedient bunch. I'm so encouraged by them. Thank you for the report. Have a seat. Pleasure. Give him a hand. Thanks, Calvin, for your help. <laughs> if you hadn't guessed, this was a little sketch to help just unpack a starting place of what is going on in our passage today. The sketch helps to paint the picture of what was going on with me playing the part of Paul, Calvin playing the part of Titus, and the youth group playing the part of the Corinthians. There's a real sense of joy for Paul at the believers in Corinth beginning to be reconciled to him, something that we've sensed that has been his aim, that he's been longing for in this letter as we've looked at it week by week. 
And today, I want to talk about the central and fruitful place that repentance has, both in 2 Corinthians 7, in Paul's relationship with the believers there, but also in the Christian life. The gospel that Jesus spoke of was a gospel of repentance. And the word that Jesus used, and the word that you find in our reading today, in verse 10, is this word, metanoia. It's made up of two parts here. The word meta, meaning after or change, and noia, meaning to think or thinking. And so it means a change of mind or a change of thinking. In saying mind, that includes both the emotion and will as well as the intellect. It can mean to rethink or reconsider something. When I was at university in halls of residence, I was self-catered for the first year. And one of the things I learned to cook and became a bit of my pride and joy was my apple crumble. I had a lovely blue bowl. You could feed at least 10 out of. And I loved it. And in the summer term, there was some kind of party, barbecue thing that was happening out in between the different halls. And someone came and asked if they could borrow my blue bowl. I was a little bit tentative, but I said yes. And it was been a really good time. Uh, like often, I didn't quite last the whole evening, and I was in bed before the party had finished. And so the next day, I went back to find the blue bowl, and it wasn't there. So I asked people, have you seen my blue bowl, my apple crumble bowl? And uh, they couldn't find it. And so I found the person that actually asked me to borrow it. Can you tell me where my blue bowl is? And they couldn't. I was getting annoyed. My apple crumble bowl was gone. What was I going to do? Uh, this might be the end of our friendship. I was getting bitter until my friend, a Christian friend, later that evening, texted me a little verse from Luke 6, Jesus talking to his disciples, and it included Jesus' instruction to lend expecting nothing in return. And it was like, oh, I know what you're talking about. And um, I had to change my way of thinking. And actually changing my way of thinking helped me to let go of that. It probably preserved my friendship with those people, and it stopped me from becoming bitter, changing my way of thinking. In our passage today, we see this response of repenting, of a new way of thinking, after Paul has brought a challenge to the believers in Corinth. And with that changing of mind, there is both a turning back to God and a desire to be reconciled to Paul. And this was what Paul had been longing for. And in this passage, we see a glimpse of his joy that it has and is taking place. What I want to do today then is to help us to see what is going on in this part of the letter and bring a challenge about repentance. Now, I want to ask for you to play your part in this. Uh, when I first read this passage, I read it a couple of times and I thought, what is going on? I've read it twice, I still don't know what's happened. And so I've spent some time trying to understand it and want to help you to as well through this angle of thinking about this theme of repentance. And so in order to come with me, I do ask for your attention, particularly uh, following along as we point bits out in the text. So do have it open with you and give it your best as we look at this together then. I want to say three things about repentance. The first thing is that repentance restores relationship with God. This word repent is central to Jesus' ministry, and it's also used quite a lot by both Peter and Paul as they call people to change their way of thinking and put their faith in Jesus. Having a change of mind when it comes to how we should live and what we put our faith in is a key part of being a Christian. This word metanoia 
in military terms means an about face. As if a soldier was walking this way, and they turned around and walked the other way. As Paul points out in verse 10, godly sorrow causes a change of mind that leads to salvation. Sometimes, as was the case for the Corinthians, it's from something hard that has happened that's caused pain that we come to our senses and recalibrate and change our thinking, and as a result, put our faith in Jesus. It's clear that Paul has confronted some shortcomings in some of the believers in Corinth, and he's addressed this through a letter. You can see in verse 8, it tells us about that letter. He's not referring to 1 Corinthians that we have a copy of, but a letter that we don't have access to. Paul's doubted whether this sending of the letter was the right approach. Again, in verse 8, he says, I I thought I might have regretted it. A bit like when you send a text message and have that awful moment of thinking, should have I done that? Is that going to be read in the way I intended intended it? Are they going to understand it? But for Paul, thankfully, despite some initial hurt, verse 9 tells us he's now happy. Why? Well, because repentance restores our relationship with God. Repentance is not just a one-off thing that we do once when we choose to follow Jesus, but it's a key part regularly of something we do as followers of Jesus. There's no such thing as being so mature that we don't need to repent anymore. Rather, repenting, you could say, actually, is a key spiritual discipline. Time and time again, we need to turn back to God and correct our stray thinking. You might find it helpful to think of it a little bit like cruise control in a car. I was excited when we got a car with cruise control. When you reach a certain speed, you can press a button, and it will keep you at that speed, which is really helpful. It's helpful for those that might be tempted to drive too fast and go astray. I see a few people looking at those next to them. And it's also helpful when we go too slow or something else kind of gets in our way. Well, when I first started using it, a bit like when we first start following Jesus, there's a real sense of excitement. It got me on track. I was going at the right speed. But pretty soon, old habits crept in. The need to get past the car alongside you, if they're going exactly 70 as well, it's quite hard to have self-control and just stay there without putting your foot on the gas. Or the need to brake because something else happens or you get distracted. Braking cruise control is a little bit like us continually going astray, in little ways, in big ways. And our continual need to reset, to rethink, to repent, to refocus again and again. And with this change of speed, there comes a need to say sorry and to trust in God again. That's why confessing is such a helpful discipline for us to do as Christians in our own lives and collectively in times of worship together. Paul was encouraged by the repentance because it leads to being saved, verse 10 tells us, being in right relationship with God. Repent and believe and be baptized was the message of the early church as they told people about Jesus. Paul writes elsewhere that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, to a change of thinking, just like it was with my friend's kindness that highlighted to me I should lend my bowl and not expect it back. He was trying to be kind to help me to move on. Repentance leads to salvation. 
to knowing God now and knowing him forever. And when that happens, there's a great cause to be happy, as verse 9 tells us, and to celebrate. If you haven't yet turned back to God and put your faith in Jesus, who died in our place and rose again so that we might have everlasting life. Let me say today is a great day to do that, to change your way of thinking, to do an about face and to turn back to God. I looked at this word with our year sixes and year sevens this week in one of the discipleship groups, and the young people were talking about how with this word repentance, which we weren't overly familiar with, but we unpack together, there comes the need to ask for forgiveness and to put our trust in Jesus as saviour. Let's do that again today, to refocus and turn back to Jesus. So the first thing I wanted to point out is repentance restores relationship with God. The second thing is that repentance restores relationships with one another. Paul was encouraged because repentance has led to a restored relationship, or at least the first signs of, between him and the believers in Corinth. In verse 2 to 4, Paul has reiterated his desire to be reconciled to the believers, calling on them to make room in their heart for us. And he defends his leadership and action as having wronged no one, corrupted no one, and exploited no one. It was those who undermined and doubted his leadership who were trying to convince the other believers that Paul had wronged them, be that by false doctrine, wrongly rebuking believers, or dodgy financial activity. But this was not the case. Paul calls on the hearers to make room for him in their hearts, and he makes clear his commitment and his affection to them, which was strong. He says in verse 3, it was as strong as life and death. Paul's spoken to them in a straight way. He describes it as frankly in verse 4, but the intention was to be reconciled to them. He didn't want to condemn them, verse 3 tells us, but to see them restored, just like God's heart for each and every one of us that we might be restored with him and restored to one another. Paul longed for the believers to be in right relationship with God and right relationship with him too. And so he was full of joy now that he hears not only had he been concerned for them, but that they too, the believers in Corinth, longed to see him, had experienced deep sorrow, presumably about what happened, the details of which we don't know. And this had led to a change of thinking, repentance. And now verse 7 tells us they were concerned for Paul. His letter had clearly caused some pain. Verse 8 tells us that. And our relationships with one another can get messy and cause upset, even when we try and speak the truth in love, as Paul has tried to. The question is, will we allow our sorrow and pain to lead to what Paul calls death in verse 10 and no apple crumble or to a change in thinking and restoration and maybe still no apple crumble. Death here in the long run is being apart from God but it's also expressed through broken relationships and bitterness or the other option where we allow the pain of mistakes and the past to move to a change of thinking God's way of thinking, and restoration. Paul was writing not to mainly focus 
on the individuals. Verse 12 tells us, not mainly to focus on the one who did the wrong or the one who was injured, but because he desired the believers to be devoted to one another. And here he writes of how he devoted to us, you are. Something that encouraged him, verse 13 tells us. Repentance leads to restored relationships with one another. It can lead to that by God's grace. I wonder, are there some broken relationships in your life that maybe you need to change your way of thinking about? Reach out for reconciliation. Many of you know I've been doing some studying in recent years, and that one of the things I've studied in the last year is the involvement of Baptists, or not, in the 18th and 19th century slave trade movement and the aim to stop it. Now, I can tell you there are some real heroes who spoke up and cost them their life, whether they were in the West Indies trying to stop the slavery movement as missionaries there, or whether they were politically involved back here, helping legislation go through, uh, both involved in William Wilberforce's work, but also the things that followed later legislation that came to stop, or at least help stop, begin a stop to slavery. But there are also many signs of silence among Baptists who you know, took some of the benefits of slavery or invested money financially. We have, and rightly have been, acknowledging in recent years, it was about two years ago, just over, since George Floyd died, that we need to change our way of thinking when it comes to issues of race. But this also requires action. It's not just something that goes on in our mind. And so for Baptists, this involved an apology given by the Baptist Council to the Jamaican Baptist Union in 2007. To quote a bit of it, for our share in and benefit from our nation's participation in the transatlantic slave trade, acknowledging the sin of the past and the pain of our black brothers and sisters. A right way of thinking was needed in this area, and it led to action, action that in a small way has helped lead towards reconciliation. If you watch the news this week, you might have seen Justin Welby also make an apology this week because of financial ties that the Anglican Church has had with some of their investments in money that has been used linked with slavery. Repentance followed by action can lead, by God's grace, to restored relationships. And this was Paul's joy here in 2 Corinthians 7. Sometimes it's unhelpful to always make it about who did what and when, whereas other times that is part of reconciliation. But seeking to make room in our hearts for another and take on God's way of thinking is key for restored relationships. Can you think of someone that you need to be restored to? Friends, family members, neighbours, work colleagues, other believers... I think there's something to learn from and pray into here as we see this example of repentance from the Corinthian believers, this change of thinking. Paul was greatly encouraged by the repentance that Titus reported of and the restoration in relationships that it brought. Repentance can, by God's grace, restore relationships with one another. And finally, repentance produces godly fruit. Paul was so encouraged by Titus's report back because their about turn was evident 
they were producing fruit. I'm always so encouraged to hear of young people I know who've put their faith and trust in Jesus, of changing their thinking. They now say he's their saviour and Lord and King and want to follow him. I'm even more encouraged when I begin to see growth in them, becoming more and more like Jesus, being more kind and loving and serving our others and seeing the light of Jesus shine in and through them. Think about this idea of fruit. When you look at a tree, you can normally tell a tree by its fruit. This was a tree that was planted in our garden recently. Anyone have a guess at what it is? Fig. Fig? Any other guesses? Apple? Apple? Yeah. Okay. I'm no tree expert, but I asked the planter, and I look at the fruit, and I'm told it is a crab apple tree. How do I know? You know what a tree is by its fruit. And followers of Jesus produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's what John the Baptist said to the religious leaders in John 2 verse 8. He said, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, in keeping with this new way of thinking. Paul was encouraged by the fruit that Titus had reported back that he'd seen in the lives of the believers in Corinth. In verse 11, he talks of an earnestness, an eagerness to clear yourselves and to do what is right. Repentance has produced a level of concern and alarm about living the right way, so much so that despite the past, Paul can describe the believers now as innocent in verse 11. We can all become innocent in God's eyes by faith in Jesus. Paul had boasted to Titus about the believers in Corinth before he'd gone, in verse 14, and Titus had received a warm welcome with fear and trembling, verse 15 tells us, i.e. a welcome that was full of respect and honor, something that Paul had clearly not always experienced himself. He says that they were obedient, verse 15, and even had refreshed Titus in verse 13, so much so that it was a relief that Paul can say that actually he wasn't embarrassed about them, but that Titus' affection for them had grown at how he'd seen them bearing fruit. Repentance produces godly fruit. The question is, are we regularly asking God to show us what we need to repent of? Are we seeking to be restored to God again and again, every time we fall? Or in our cruise control illustration, every time we break the speed limit or get caught behind? Are we seeking to make space in our hearts for one another and be restored to one another? And are we praying that God will produce fruit in us that makes us more like Jesus? Paul was delighted to hear Titus's report back from Corinth. He could have confidence in the believers, verse 16 tells us. I was delighted to hear of Calvin's report back of our youth group. And so Paul was delighted at the report that he had heard back. Repentance restores relationship with God. It can restore our relationship to one another. And it can lead to godly fruit in our lives. If we want to see God at work in amazing ways in our lives, in our church, in our community. We need to be a repentant people, a people who regularly turn back to God, allow him to change our way of thinking to match his. 
When I think of encouraging moves of God that you read about, I think of what happened in Wesley's day in the 18th century when hundreds of thousands of people were coming to faith as people like John Wesley and Charles Wesley and others were traveling on horseback and preaching to thousands. People were choosing to come to faith. They were choosing to repent, do an about turn and put their faith in Jesus. Alongside this, as people came to faith, believers were organized into small groups called bands where they confessed their sins to one another. Repentance was part of the DNA of this move, and God did wonderful things. I think you'll find that's often a common theme when we see God work in amazing ways, that God's people have that desire to continually repent and change our way of thinking so that we think like God, whose ways are higher than ours and thoughts are higher than ours. So may we be a people who learn to be a repentant people, a turning back people, that we might be able to enjoy God's grace and relationship with him, be restored to one another, and bear fruit for Jesus. What I'd like to do is leave a moment of quiet for us just to invite the Holy Spirit to come and highlight anything particularly that God wants us to take home, to respond to, how he wants to speak to us. It might be that before you leave today, you'd like someone to pray with you. Maybe you've never kind of acknowledged, I want to change my way of thinking and turn and put my faith in Jesus. Maybe in this moment there might be things that the Holy Spirit brings to mind that we need to change our way of thinking of and say sorry. Maybe you just want to take a moment again to say, God, help me to produce godly fruit. Help me to become more like Jesus. Let's have a moment of quiet and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. If you feel God's particularly spoken to you about something, let me encourage you to to do something with that, to pray about it, to write it down at some point today, to tell someone else about that, to help you process that. But we thank you and we borrow from David's words who said, see if there's any offensive way in me and leave me in the way everlasting. I want to thank you for the sense of joy and encouragement there is in our passage today at the result of a new way of thinking, of a turning back to you that there clearly was in the believers in Corinth. And Lord, we want to recalibrate ourselves, reset ourselves on you, Jesus, as our King, as our Lord, as our prize, as our Saviour. We trust you. We worship you. We love you. Lord, we lift some of the relationships we might have been thinking of as we thought about relationships being restored and we ask that you'd help us to think your way help us to know what action might look like and Lord we pray that in all of us you might help us to grow godly fruit that we might produce fruit in keeping with a way that's been turning back to you and remind us this week day by day to turn back to you we do recognize Lord that we don't think like you that your ways are above our ways and so we pray Lord Help us to be a repentant people. And we pray that through us, Lord, you might do wonderful things, that many more might come to change their way of thinking and find hope and salvation in you, King Jesus. Amen.